Hello, and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Hi there. By now, you've probably heard me talk about my new book, Love Every Day. It will be out in the world in October, but you can pre-order it any time before then. And let me tell you a little something. Pre-ordering is one of the best ways you can support authors and their new books. Why? More pre-orders equals more buzz about the book, and more buzz means reaching even more readers. Because of this, I really want to thank anyone who has already pre-ordered or who will pre-order Love Every Day by offering them two free gifts. You can sign up to receive these goodies by heading to the link in the show notes of this episode or by visiting loveeverydaybook.com. You're going to fill out a quick little form with your proof of a pre-order purchase, like a screenshot of your e-receipt, plus your mailing address and your email. And then you will receive a complimentary Love Everyday journal in the mail. It's so beautiful. And a digital reader's guide in your email inbox. Both of these will arrive in mid-October, right when you're receiving your Love Every Day book. The journal is going to be the perfect place for you to jot down your thoughts and reflections as you read, and the digital reader's guide is full of discussion questions that you can use to spark solo reflection or to spur conversation in a book club, for example. Plus, the reader's guide includes the Love Every Day playlist with some of my favorite songs that celebrate growth, healing, and connection. To learn more about this offering, click the link in the show notes or head to loveeverydaybook.com. If you have questions about the pre-order gifts, email info at dralexandrasolomon.com for support from our team. Thank you so much. Hi there. I have got such a cool guest on the show today. You may have heard of the app that she co-founded, Dipsy. Her name is Gina Gutierrez, and she is an empathy-driven entrepreneur with her sights set on reimagining and prioritizing female pleasure. As the co-founder and chief creative officer at Dipsy, a people-powered story studio that produces a wide range of erotic, female-focused audio content. She is passionate about demonstrating why sexual wellness is essential and how storytelling and imagination are powerful tools that can help women unlock liberating connections with their bodies. Armed with a psychology degree from Duke and a desire to break the stigma that fantasy should be stifled, she's ready to help women everywhere tap into their sexual powers. Gina also has a fantastic TED Talk about sexuality and imagination, which we will link in the show notes. 
In this episode, I speak with Gina about the origins of her idea for Dipsy and why she continues to feel so passionate about its power. We talk about some of the most common struggles people have when it comes to accessing their own pleasure and why the audio medium can be so powerful and permission-giving. Gina also shares more about Dipsy's mission to create a safe and healing space with the audio content they're creating so that listeners can experience pleasure and reclaim their sexuality all on their own. I also loved hearing from Gina about the ways users bring Dipsy into the space between themselves and their partners and how tapping into our own sexuality, fantasies, and imagination on our own can help us reignite things when we come together with a partner. Make sure that you listen until the end of the episode to get the information that you need for a free month of Dipsy just for Reimagining Love listeners. I hope that you feel inspired and invigorated by this episode. Gina, hi. It's so good to meet you and get to have this chance to spend time with you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to talk with you about all things imagination and pleasure and erotica. But let me first ask you the question that we ask all Reimagining Love guests. Are you ready for the question? Yes. Okay. So, Gina, what is a growing edge that you're currently working on in one of your important relationships? And what has it been teaching you lately? So, first of all, I love this question. My now husband asked me this question at the very end of our first date. And I found it really awe-inspiring and also made me feel super vulnerable. So maybe I'm better prepared to answer it today than I was <laughs> that fateful day. Do you know where, what's the origin story of where he drew that question from? Just yeah, he soul? was in a coaching group at the time. And I think he was excited by the idea that we're all like pushing at edges of ourselves. Um, but I remember being like, first of all, what does that even mean? Oh my God, did I answer that right? Because it's a big question. And now I feel like all I think about is like growth and edges and you just start to learn the language. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So, I mean, a a lot. I think in every relationship I'm pushing some edge, but um, I'm home right now with my parents. I spend summers in New York with my family, which is an unexpected silver lining of COVID. And I've noticed this thing, partly because I got feedback from my mom about it, where when she um, does a deep sigh or she furrows her eyebrows, I turned to her and I go, you okay? And she said to me recently, yeah, I'm okay. Like, don't worry. Every time I'm deep sighing doesn't mean something's wrong. I appreciate you checking, but I'm good. And I thought that was so great that she said that to me. Um, I hadn't necessarily thought about the fact that that was a negative. I thought it was nice. Like, I'm checking in. But actually, I was overextending and overcontrolling her experience. So this is what this reminder felt like for me. I re-remembered that I only have control over myself and that everyone's living their own little ecosystem universe of emotions in their own lives. And that I can take this learning in so many other places in my life. Like I don't need to moderate the dinner conversation to make sure everyone's having the best time or make sure the party is perfect at all moments in order to have a good time myself. And that taking that small step back, I enjoy myself more. I become more aware of what feels good to me and what doesn't feel good to me. And I'm less preoccupied by other people's experiences, which gives me a lot more space to be attentive to my own. And so this little piece of feedback that my mom gave me about, yeah, like every time I sigh doesn't mean it's a signal that I'm asking someone to support or step in or help. Yeah. was really, really helpful for me. Oh, how fascinating. 
That's really cool. It requires a measure of trust for you to trust your mom that if and when and as she does need to process something with you, turn towards you, ask something of you, that she will. So it really is a kind of surrender that, okay, if I don't do this, then we'll, I'm trusting that you will step up and step in if and when you need me. Right. Right. It's a really good point. I have a friend who always says boundaries are sexy. And when she first said it, I laughed. And then I started realizing how incredibly powerful it is. Like, mm-hmm. I trust your yes more when you give me a strong no. Sure. I believe your yes more when you give me a no. It's just, you know, fundamentally powerful. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, and I'm, of course, thinking of you as a, as the daughter with this mom. And I'm so... I'm so aware of how much my kids, my young adult kids, are keyed into just micro shifts in my mood. I mean, I think that is because your, you know, your mom was your your son, the center of your solar system as you were growing up, right? So you learn to anchor yourself around her ups and downs and, and moods. And so I think that it is so natural to orient towards if there's a shift in mom, <laughs> there's a lot of downstream effects when there's a shift in a, you know, in a, in a, in a big person in a family. So I can imagine that especially a mama side holds a particular kind of like, oh, what does this mean? Where is it all? Totally. Go? <laughs> People always say that about in the kid direction, but I think it's definitely true in the parent oh, direction. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah, right. I'm sure that she, yeah, I imagine that there are ways that she's keyed in to you as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's an interesting shift to see how the relationship evolves over time. You know, at 15, was I attentive to my mom's size? Like, arguably, probably not. <laughs> and now as a, you know, more attentive adult who maybe has more empathy for the problems of my mom as a real human being versus just as my mom, mm-hmm. I'm listening more. And so there's, you know, a lot of gray area there, there too. It's not, uh, no action is necessarily like a bad action or a good action. It's just interesting to observe and be more aware of. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, and cool that she gave you that feedback that then becomes yours to chew on and figure out, okay, what does that mean in this relationship with my mom? But what else does it mean elsewhere in my life? I know. I thought it was so great. That's a new dynamic for us. And mm. I think it's really exciting. Yeah. Where your relationship gets to keep growing and changing and that you get to have new, new experiences of somebody that you have never, you've never known this world without her. So yeah. And like you said, it's, it's trust. It really is an expression of trust. That's right. Okay. So you are the founder of this company called Dipsy. You founded it in 2018. And this company sits at the intersection of sexual wellness and storytelling, which is like and a pretty incredible intersection. So I'm very, very excited to dive in with you. But before we talk about what the app is and all of that that we will get to, I would love to just start by you orienting us to you about your journey and what led you to create an app that is deeply invested in audio-based erotic content. I mean, help us, like, get, give us the backstory on that, Yeah, please. let's start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all the way back in college, I remember talking to mostly female friends about their sex lives and them feeling ambivalent, disappointed, confused about what was going on. And I asked a lot of questions and I listened and I learned a lot. And I remember a conversation I had with one of my closest girlfriends and she said, I really like this guy. I think things are really good, but sex isn't amazing. And I I just don't know why. And I asked her what I thought was a simple question, which is what do you think about while you're having sex? (laughs) And she looked at me like I had three heads and was like, I don't know. And that is just so interesting to me. We, we really think about sex as a purely physical experience. We aren't 
considering it as a more holistic, mental, emotional experience as well. And so that just seemed really interesting to me because I felt on some intuitive level that we as women are always thinking and observing and, and you know, it, there's, a, there's a lot of brain power that we're using all the time in all these moments. And then we kind of assume that that just shuts off and then sex is just primal and physical. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. So that was maybe a loose thought in my mind, you know, in my 20s, exploring myself and figuring it all out. And then right around the time that Headspace and Calm were coming out, these apps that were destigmatizing this thing that felt kind of complicated, that was meditation, and they were creating these really beautiful app experiences, and they were using audio to change how people feel. Mm-hmm. And that felt pretty interesting to me. It wasn't just the classic podcasting landscape where people are sharing information. People are changing maybe the rest of their days because of listening for 15 minutes. And I felt excited by audio as a medium. I was like, wow, if we can change how people feel to feel more calm, to feel more relaxed, maybe even to sleep, couldn't we change how they feel to make them feel more turned on, more alive, more in their bodies? And so it's just this hunch. And so I started talking about this idea with my friend Faye. Should we, could we build a sexier headspace? (laughs) And (laughs) my friend Faye is kind of the left brain, right brain balance to me. We're very yin and yang. And she was like, let's read everything we can. Let's look at all the research because I was very intuition driven. I think storytelling could be really powerful. I think people really, you know, gravitate towards knowing what happens between characters, Mm. not just the sex itself. And Faye was like, yeah. I'm looking at the data and it's wild, right? So romance drives the publishing industry. It's the the secret of publishing is that it is supported by romance. Overwhelmingly, those customers are women. They're not necessarily tapping a younger audience, though. They tend to skew a little older. Maybe there's an indication there that we need to upgrade this space. We need to make it feel more contemporary and more for us. You look at the data between, you know, what men tend to use their browsers for and women tend to use their browsers for. There's kind of like a landmark study that was done on AOL search data in 2008. So it's super old. Yeah. But, you know, it was like, okay, what people type into their search bar is probably different than what they self-report. And what they found was that men were more likely to search for a sex act or a body part, something that's more specific, explicit, graphic, while women were more likely to search for a narrative or dynamic. Friends become more, right? So all these kind of clues and signs we wrapped our arms around them and said, it looks like a really compelling story. And we think that maybe the reason this doesn't exist isn't because people don't want it, but because no one's tried it. And so we thought we'd try it ourselves. And so we did that, which was a lot of a, we weren't in a garage, but we were in a kitchen unplugging a fridge and figuring out how to record audio, which you know well too, (laughs) audio pioneers. Oh, my gosh. And see, yeah. And and you touched something that was, I mean, the, the success of your business shows that you that you have touched something that is necessary, needed, desired for sure. So one part of it is so you're speaking to this gender difference, the sex difference, about what, you know, that men are searching for a sex act, something that is highly visual, mm-hmm. and women tend to be searching for something that is highly contextual. Can you say more about why, what do you think that, where does that sex difference come from? What are some of the sort of elements that underlie why we are different in that way? Yeah, it's it's an excellent question. And frankly, one that deserves so much more research and attention than it is getting. But first I'll say, I think that fantasy and imagination are just innately human, that there's no gender difference. Yeah. Men don't do it more. Women don't do it more. I think it's pretty equal. 
Um, we fantasize, obviously, about a lot of things, not just sex. We use our imagination to future plan and to alleviate stress and to, you know, um, hope and build our hope into reality and all sorts of things. So we are, you know, I, I read a lot of um, a lot of the Body Keep Score, if you're familiar with that book, talks about imagination and the power to overcome trauma. But I think um, imagination is a tool that we don't even realize we use to the degree yes. that we use it. In some way, it's very underutilized in all aspects of our lives. So I'll say that. Um, that said, the differences in erotic consumption are pretty interesting. Um, so some of these most seminal pieces of research were done several decades ago, but they're interesting to observe, you know, this um, difference in, like you said, visual versus audio. And I love the kind of example that, you know, women are more interested in the juicy details of a celebrity relationship than they are in seeing photos of that same celebrity nude, right? Like these are broad generalizations, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I'd consider them kind of an observed and understood phenomenon. And so whether that's biological, whether that's cultural, I can't really purport to know. Yeah. There is some truth there and there is um, a reflection of that in consumer choices. So there's some difference happening there that is interesting. And so I think that's kind of the founder's dilemma to a degree. Like if there isn't enough good research, do you try and build and see if that's true? And, and, and Dipsy has shown that there's a lot of interest in the audio kind of world and audio erotic as a phrase now. Like we had to say audio erotica five years ago and people were like, what is that? What are you talking about? Oh, <laughs> um, my gosh. Which is pretty wild, right? Like that, like, does that phrase feel familiar to you when you hear audio erotica? Are you like, yeah, I've heard that phrase before. Well, only because of you, only because of Dipsy. That was, okay, that so was my you. first, mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly know about like literatica, like, right, like sort of literature, yep. like erotic literature, things that are yep. written, the written word rather than visual images. But the idea of, I mean, it's just so brilliant. It's so brilliant to bring in the audio with nothing, with no other element. Yeah. And some of the more recent research that talks about this um, uses the concept of mental framing. So mm-hmm. women are very likely to use mental framing as part of their self-pleasure or pleasure practices, meaning they'll kind of like get themselves in the right mindset <laughs> and they'll imagine things. Yeah. And I think that's very reflected also in Dipsy stories where, you know, 99.9% of our stories involve some form of dirty talk, some sort of verbalization of desire, the expression of preferences and needs, maybe like the affirmation of what you might otherwise be left to guessing, because I think they're little hooks for then you to then imagine what's happening in someone else's head, which is just a very interesting kind of interpersonal curiosity that I, yeah. I find very beautiful to see reflected in people, that people really want to know what someone else is desiring. It's a big part of their own desire. Yeah. The mental framing, one of the first places that I went with this idea of, you know, the research shows that 90% of women use mental framing, right? Setting the context, setting the frame. And it reminded me of the finding also that when you look at different types of um, desire, sort of spontaneous desire versus responsive desire, you also see a gender difference there, right? Yes. Where it is far more likely for somebody who, a male person, to feel like sex would feel great right now. Like just yes. sort of that spontaneous desire that arises. And for women, responsive desire has a lot of context clues. I wasn't feeling it, but we watched this, you know, show, or I wasn't feeling it, but we had this great conversation, or I wasn't feeling it, but now I've had a bath and I feel really in my body. Those kinds. So that was a place where I was like, it makes sense that if women are so cued in their lived sexual experiences by what's happening within and around them, those context cues that they're responding to, it's no surprise then that that happens also around the mental framing with self-pleasure. I'm so happy that you brought this up. I mean, 
I'm a huge disciple of Emily Nagoski. Dr. Yeah. Emily Nagoski talks a lot about spontaneous versus responsive desire. And that was a real unlock for us, again, early on in early research compilation of what made Dipsy exciting to us to build. You know, she really talked about how a woman can be perfectly normal and healthy and never experience spontaneous desire in her life. She might never have the moment of like, I just want to rip their clothes off. And I think that that contributes pretty heavily to this belief that a lot of people have. We've heard from a lot of women. We've heard from people of all genders. Is something wrong with me? Like, what's going on with my sex drive? What's going on with my libido? Should I be having sex more? Should I want sex more? These are all these questions that are very heavy for people. And I think a lot of it is, you know, if I'm meant to feel aroused, feel desire at random times, and I'm not, there's clearly a problem. And um, imagination to me is such a wonderful alternative to this idea of like problem solution, where I think desire isn't this problem to be solved. It's a fire to be stoked. And in that kind of responsive desire sort of framework, we say, okay, you're not feeling like you want to have sex right now. You're not feeling sexual right now, but what if the lighting was a little bit better? And what if the temperature was a little bit nicer? And what if the person that you're with said exactly the right thing? And what if you felt really strong that day because you worked out that morning or whatever you did to make yourself feel that way? And what if, what if, what if, what if? And your imagination can really create that container for you, even if your real life isn't perfect, perfect in that moment. And a Dipsy story might can create it for you too. We're just a leg up to your own imagination. So the imagination, Gina, let me get this right. The imagination is also what you're saying to a woman in this situation is like use your imagination as a fuel for creating the scene that you want to have, whether that's a partnered scene or a solo scene or a solo scene with Dipsy to support you. But it's like imagination is turning inward and saying like, actually, you have a ton of power and agency available to you to create something that actually then your desire steps into. You don't need to wait for the desire. You can create something that your desire can step into. That's so perfectly said. It's it's very empowering to say, like, I could right here, right now, without a partner, without a date to then, you know, go, become the second date, become the third date to become a partner, without a friends with benefits, without even, like, requiring anyone else. You could literally lie in your bed and start imagining something that you think is kind of sexy. <laughs> and almost like meditation where, you know, in meditation, you're being asked to observe a thought is happening and then kind of let it pass. Okay, what if you observe a thought is happening and then play it out? Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. And you move it off to the side and you, you kind of keep going with that. That your imagination is this really amazing tool to create the context where your responsive desire might assert itself. Beautiful. I think also with uh, with the uh, the number of women who you know, I think there's there are women who have capital T traumatic experiences lowercase t traumatic experiences and then just the trauma of of growing up in a culture that is so infused with the risk of sexual violence right the sort of ever present risk of sexual yes. violence imagination I imagine is even that much more important a tool because it gives us an experience of pairing desire arousal orgasm with that sense of like agency and control over what's happening to us. Yes. I think that's exactly right. And I think there's other layers to that as well, where when you start to focus on sex as something that can be just yours, and it's still sex, capital S sex, it's just yours. The inherent safety of that is pretty profound for someone Mm. who is post capital T or lowercase t trauma, right? Like, but this is mine and I get to control that as mine. 
without any of the complexity of understanding whether the other person will be able to play along the way you need them to. And Mm. that, I think, is really, really a beautiful soft landing into your post-trauma life where you actually don't end at trauma. You get to figure out what's after trauma and pleasure can be found after it. Beautiful. I can only imagine the stories that you have had a chance to hear from the people who have used your app. Because one of the things that I noticed when I downloaded it and played around with it was I just noticed how really beautiful and relational the dialogue is. Like, yes, there's like mm-hmm. dirty talk, right? It's it's dirty, it's raunchy, it's raw. But there's also, there were little little bits before, during, and after that were super clear around consent and boundaries and here's what I'm going to do and are you ready? And then afterwards, the one that I had listened to last night was afterwards, the he says to her, like, can I get you anything? And it just mm. was like, oh my God, they've got aftercare. They've got <laughs> so it just was really beautiful. That so there's also like there's not just the you're empowering women around imagination, but you're also modeling what what a really, really wonderful sexual experience is like before, during, after. Yeah. I think even the stories that probably would strike someone as the most raunchy still have exactly that container because that's actually the container that you need in order to really enjoy that. Like that allows that to feel really good. And so that's like the default. Like you're going to have consent. It's going to feel sex positive. There's no shame happening here. And at the end, it's like, how are you doing? Do you want to cuddle? Can I draw you a bath? Like whatever the whatever makes sense for those yeah. characters. But you'll hear some of that. So aftercare is is on offer at Dipsy for sure. I love it. I love it. Okay. Another when I I remember the I think one of my first thoughts when I first knew about Dipsy was that I thought, oh, this is so brilliant because it gives women a chance to bypass all the body image shit that gets kicked up when women mm. are using visual, more visual um, kinds of erotic content. So is that, was that part of what you're thinking? And is that what you think perhaps appeals, why audio may especially appeal to women is that it helps us bypass some of the, what, what visual stimulus might stir up in us? But tell, tell us about that. It's such a good question. So audio by nature is very intimate. It produces this experience like it's you're part of it uh you're not passively consuming it from far away it's almost like the sound of your own thoughts it's embodied in it's in it in this way that i think is really really powerful but probably most importantly it's fundamentally imaginative it's this blueprint we give you the blueprint and then you design the house and that means the house can look like you want your house to look like. And this is no surprise, but your house probably looks really different from my house, looks different from his house, looks different from her house. We all have our own preferences about those things. And there's no difference as it relates to sex. We think about different bodies. We think about different spaces. We think about different contexts. Like we are all doing our own thing and we get to hang whatever we want on these bare walls that we're providing you a little bit of structure. And so we've learned a lot over time, over the last five years at Dipsy, We've gotten more thoughtful and more good at, frankly, giving you enough of a sense of how bodies are oriented without being really specific about what the body types are, Hmm. because everyone's going to imagine something different, right? And so that's a a really great learning for us. Um, We're not describing a lot of specifics. We're allowing you to kind of shape that yourself 
And that's a delicate balance because you want to be like, well, what's happening, right? <laughs> you want to yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really delicate balance that I think our creative team does a really, really good job of. And we also want to make sure that it sounds like the world around us, right? So you're hearing people whose voices reflect the ethnicities and accents and backgrounds of the world around us. So you're hearing an American Southern accent and you're hearing someone who is Black and British and you're hearing someone who is white and Irish and you're, you're hearing all of this. Again, like these little context clues, you can be like, okay, this person's clearly Irish, but, um, you know, I'm getting a sense that I'm in this like more travel-y context. And that's fun for me to imagine as an example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I had wondered how you were going to handle dialogue versus narrative. And it was really seamless. Like there was the one that I had listened to was she was narrating what was happening while also dial. So it, it like wove really naturally in a way that I didn't even really pay attention to. It wasn't distracting that you were weaving between a dialogue between two characters and she's narrating kind of a, like a little bit more of a distance with what was happening. Right. So a lot of our stories are like almost like sonic movies where you're hearing both her thoughts or their thoughts, or sometimes his thoughts, more rarely, but sometimes. And then also the dialogue. And then there are other stories where it's a single character that you really like talking directly to you. So you get to have more intimate experiences with these characters. So there's different ways that we let you experience these worlds, and different people prefer different things. And if you really like a dynamic or you really like a theme, there's multiple episodes of that, so you can follow that same character and see what happens next. Hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about how um, somebody who is partnered may, you know, create a a variety of sexual experiences that are partnered and solo? Like, how do couples, what do you think are the best practices for couples around navigating solo sex and, you know, private time with couple time? Like, what do you, how do you think that tends to go best for couples? Yeah, I uh, hear a lot about this from our listeners, so maybe I can share some of the things that I've heard from people. Um, I've heard from people about this concept of their pilot light. One person said this specifically, this language to me, I thought it was so good, where you just kind of keep the fire on a little bit. So Dipsy allows you to kind of tap into that feeling of like, oh yeah, I am a sexual being. Oh yeah, like I am interested in maybe saying yes the next time sex gets instigated or even instigating it myself. And Dipsy allows them to kind of keep that pilot light on. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to listen every day, but maybe you listen every couple days. And it allows you to be more open to the possibility of sexual encounters with your partner. Because a lot of what I've heard from people also is the most challenging moment is one person is into it and the other person's not in the mood. It's just a disheartening, challenging moment when the kind of preferences are different in that moment. So if Dipsy can help you be more contextually open, that responsive desire thing again, amazing. I would hope also that anyone who listens to Dipsy is like, oh, wow, like this is teaching me great words. And we hear that from so many people, you know, whether you're learning about ways to make dirty talk feel more smooth or whether you're learning new ways to ask and initiate sex or literally even learning new ways to set boundaries and say no, you are learning as you're listening, but it doesn't feel like you're like taking an educational course or like following step 12 of 17 to become a better sexual partner. I I think it's hard that sex starts to feel a little like chory, a little should yeah. And so my push, whether it's dipsy or otherwise, is to be like, how can I make it a little bit more fun so that I want to do it more? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we all know what it feels like to be in the muscle memory of something. Like mm-hmm. for me, sometimes I don't take a yoga class for two months and I'm like, how am I ever going to drag myself to the studio? <laughs> like, how am I going to, I'm going to deal with the parking. I'm going to find my mat and also remember my water bottle. It just seems really hard. 
And then once you start going again, you're like, why don't I do this every day? This feels so good. <laughs> that <laughs> is so, the most that's the most effective <laughs> parallel between sex and exercise. I use that image all the time, yeah. right? Like, when do you ever finish a workout and say, you know, I wish I hadn't done that? And for most of us in long-term loving relationships, right, it may be difficult to get started, but usually by the end, you're like, oh, I'm so right. glad we did that. That right. was so nice. Mm-hmm. And another thing mm-hmm. that I hear from partners a lot is, okay, how can I enjoy touch and enjoy intimacy that doesn't necessarily lead to sex. And what I mean mm-hmm. to say is, especially in heterosexual relationships, I hear a lot that it's like, I really want to be able to invite the intimacy without immediately being like, yes, this intimacy means that sex is about to happen. How do I do that? And so there's just this way of, I think, interacting with your partner where you make very clear that like you might be interested and you might not be. And you get to have that conversation up front. So maybe you're not in a sexual encounter at all. Maybe you're across the dinner table or maybe you're on vacation. You get to say, hey, I've been thinking about this and I want to kiss you all the time. I don't always want to have sex. And so maybe I'll tell you I'm 20% interested. (laughs) And then you keep kissing and you're like, I'm 40% interested. I'm 80% interested. Like you get to make this kind of funny and sweet and you also get to go the other direction and make it sting a little bit less when it's just not at that night. And that's okay. Is really powerful when you're hitting nose a lot and you're stressed at work and there's no time and these things we all know. Yes. Well, because in the absence of having that kind of agreement that we can touch, we can touch, we can make out without it meaning something, then touch is at risk of eroding. And then every touch becomes a communication or an ask. So it's what you're, what you're speaking to is what Dr. Steven Schneider calls simmering, that keeping the pilot light on is simmering, just keeping access to each other that's playful and flirty and touchy, but not means to an end necessarily. So I love the way that you framed it really playfully and really gently, especially when one or both partners tends towards responsive desire. Yeah. But simmering is such a great term. I think I've heard that once before, so I'm happy that you just reminded me of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. agreements, you just use the word agreements. Like it's, it's so unsexy, it seems, to like be planful about sex. And I struggle with, with this myself a lot. Like, it's really hard for me to be like, Tuesdays are defined for sex. It's very hard. I have my own struggles with that. But I think something like an agreement where you say, like we just discussed, you know, I'm going to tell you where I'm at and how interested I am can actually be funny and engaging without having to feel like you have now structured and planned your sex life so much. But it's a tool that could really change how you interact. And that's a sweet spot that I am always hoping to help people get to. Yeah. Okay, so in your pilot light example, which one of your listeners was saying that she really, that Dipsy helps her kind of keep her pilot light on. Is she, do we, I want to get really granular here. Do you think that she is, or do you think that I should, we should use Dipsy sometimes to kind of step away, listen for a little bit, not listen and, you know, and masturbate to orgasm, but like listen to just kind of eat, like help with that transition, like help with a little bit of kind of early spark. Like, have you heard stories of people using just a bit of a story, like a nibble of a story to kind of get oneself going? So I can answer this question with data. So we not only talk to a lot of people and are always having qualitative conversations, we also do larger quantitative surveys. So we know how people listen and kind of when they listen and, and all sorts of things like that. And so overwhelmingly, people listen alone, even if they're in partnered in a partnered scenario. So about 50% of our listeners are in relationships or married, and 50% are single. So it's really evenly split. And 
there isn't necessarily this big discrepancy where partner people are listening together and single people are listening alone. So that's pretty interesting. It's like generally a solo listening experience. Um, even though often people will use a story that they know they like and share it with their partner and say, I thought this was sexy. And that I think is a really great way for people to depersonalize that conversation a little bit. It's not like, hey, I'd really like it if you said this to me more. Or I have been thinking about and fantasizing about this thing, which can feel really vulnerable. But instead, just be like, here's a piece of content. thought it was super sexy. Maybe you think it's sexy, too. And that can be a really fun bridge for partners. So that's like one way that I think uh, Dipsy can really help. There are definitely people who listen together once they've already decided that they really like an episode. It can be challenging to do first start, first listen with someone because a piece of content is personal. We all know this with Netflix, but it's even more intense when you're trying to get turned on by something where like, you might like an episode and I might not like that episode. Fair enough. But that's even more true when it comes down to, you know, what turns you on or what gives you the ick or whatever else. It's very personal. So I would say, keep it an experience for yourself. If you really love something that's really valuable, that's a signal. You could totally share that with others. That's an exciting, maybe bridge to someone else. We also know that people overwhelmingly are listening for self-pleasure, but there are a very happy minority who are listening in the car at home or who are listening after work to kind of reset themselves, kind of turn off their boss brain is a phrase we hear a lot. So it doesn't necessarily have to be like right before you're about to engage in sex. It can definitely be a transition into a different phase of your day, of your week. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that you are saying there are some people who are right, who are decoupling erotic content from masturbation. That yes. those two things don't have to go hand in hand. The few, the brave who listen while they drive. I, I cannot say that I recommend it because it just seems extremely distracting, but <laughs> right. there are people who say they love it. Pretty, pretty sexy amazing. content. <laughs> it's pretty sexy. Interesting. Okay. What can you tell us more broadly about how self-pleasure and solo sexual experiences really do boost and support partnered sexual experiences. Like I think often, I think so often the story is that a solo sexual experience is either less sexual than a partnered yeah. one or that a solo sexual experience means there's something wrong with partnered sex or that solo sexual experiences take away from partnered sex. So what can you say about the, the contrary? Like how does, how does it boost? You just gave a perfect little laundry list of stigma. Exactly. Mm. You know, with single people, you hear like, well, if you were able to have a partner, why would you have solo sex as if like solo sex is so inherently worse? It's so clearly the, the worse and lonelier option, which is so not true. And then with partnered people, it's like, well, if you're having solo sex, does that mean there's some deficiency in the partner? It's so like these stigmas are so pervasive. So I want to acknowledge them. They are very, very real. But I think they're really holding us back from more pleasure because you are the sole decider of everything when you're having sex with yourself. And so that's such a more interesting laboratory to figure things out than when you introduce the variable of someone else. And so I say this all the time, but man, I wish sex ed did a better job talking about masturbation because not only is it physically safer, it's often emotionally safer. You get to figure out your boundaries and preferences before ever needing to articulate them, which is maybe the 201 class. (laughs) You got to take the 101, which is just what are they? And It's wild that the stigma around masturbation still supersedes the fact that it is such an innately safe way to engage in sexuality. So what I would say, whether you're single or whether you're happily married or in a new relationship and absolutely honeymooning, is that solo sex is still this amazing lab, playground, whatever analogy you want to use to figure out what you like. And 
I would especially say this for people who are in one of two places. They are early in their sexual journeys of figuring out what mm-hmm. they like, or they are feeling stuck and like in a rut about it, where you, you these two different moments, I think, happen different phases of our lives where in our early 20s, maybe we're you know, being much more sexually explorative and we're learning and that's amazing. And then maybe in your thirties, you say, oh, whoa, I, I need to relearn a lot of this stuff. And maybe after kids, you're like, I'm really relearning. So there's different phases and our lives change. And so to give yourself the space to figure out what's going on for you right now is exciting. You might be different than you last were when you built your bank of your favorite things to think about two years ago. Like you might have evolved. So I think partly it's kind of the space to imagine, partly it's this opportunity to just fully be in control and enjoy that. And another thing, you know, we talked about the uh, one person initiates, the other person says no, and that's really challenging. I think another kind of challenge is our expectation that the other person that we are having sex with should know how to please us innately and um, how much power that gives away you can really love someone and they can really know you really well and they still don't know exactly what to do and exactly what you like. And that's not because they aren't listening or paying attention or don't love you well enough. It's because you know that better than anyone else can. And I think you could really circumvent a lot of relationship frustration or sadness or even resentment by just being like, hey, I want to share with you these things that I like and these things that are a little icky for me. I just want to, I just want to tell you that. Is that okay? Right. Um, because no one's going to guess better than you know. That's just not possible. Mm-mm. No, and it's not, yeah, I think it, because sex is so incredibly vulnerable, that feedback feels hard to give. We're afraid of hurting somebody else and it maybe feels hard to receive because we have these highly romanticized myths that if we really love each other, if we're meant to be together, we should just know each other's bodies like that. So I, I think it's really important what you're saying to normalize that feedback is so loving and it's additive. It doesn't take anything doesn't take anything away, but also that feedback is impossible to give if, if you don't know what feels good inside of your own body. So the two examples you were giving of somebody who's early in their sexual journey or somebody who's stuck, the early in the sexual journey is so much that by understanding your own body so that you can be communicative and a strong advocate and partner to your partner. And then for people, usually women, who need to reclaim, right, who just have spent years feeling nothing or faking orgasms. I think that chapter of solo sex is so essential to learn and kind of like come home to your body. Yes. And I would love to even add on and say knowing your body, but also knowing your mind Okay, is really, really so, so critical. It's you use the word myths, there are these myths of how it should be that really hold us back from so much play and fun and ease in these spaces. And like the first, the first place you're starting, the ground floor is like what feels good and what doesn't feel as good. And it doesn't surprise me that that itself, this really basic thing is really challenging because we struggle with that in all other aspects of our lives. Like how easy is it to say, I'm going to go get drinks with a friend on a Friday. And then you're driving home from those drinks or walking home from those drinks. And you're being like, I'm kind of exhausted. (laughs) Well, like maybe that friend isn't filling you up in that way that you kind of think that they should, or they have. That's not necessarily that the, the, the friend shouldn't be your friend anymore, but maybe the one-on-one dynamic isn't it for that friend. Maybe you should go do something together. But the, the important thing is you might have done something that you think is fun for you, that you've defined as fun for you. 
And then the feeling of your body isn't telling you that that was fun. <laughs> you're feeling tired. You're feeling depleted. Interesting. Yeah. That's a signal. What can you learn from that? And I personally definitely struggle with that and think about that all the time. And that bleeds right into this space where we're like, you know, the hardest stuff to talk about is sex. And so, okay, before I tell you what I need, I need to know what is happening for me. Yeah. It's hard. Well, I love this point that you just made that is like, is like, it's not just what feels good in your body. It's where does your mind go? So I, you're giving permission to start way the hell back. Like somebody could just get super cozy inside their bed or wherever feels really cozy in their tub and just close their eyes and set that frame. Like just allow the mental piece before they've even stepped into their body, put their hands anywhere in particular, but that they really are just really working with imagination first. That can be a really gentle, powerful, first, first, first step. Yeah. And we could talk about this probably for hours and it would be less um, palpable or real until you experience it yourself, which is there's this really interesting thing of using your imagination might actually help you become more embodied. And what I mean is we are used to our brains running on overdrive in an analytical sense. They are assessing and they are determining and they're making decisions and they are preparing and they are using foresight. And if you're doing that while you're trying to get embodied, it's going to be really challenging. You're like literally living in the cerebral space. But if you're just attuned to the, the flow of a story and you're starting to realize that your body is feeling excited by what you're hearing, it is this interesting interplay of your mind and your body where your brain is actually becoming your ally versus kind of holding you back from that. And it's, it's kind of challenging to, to articulate that, right? Like use your mind, become more embodied. It's, I can say this right now a million times, a million different ways, and maybe it doesn't make sense, but maybe you got to try, right. you know, because we all know what the, I don't like that feels like. We all know what the brain on overdrive feels like. Yeah. Okay. Before I let you go, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about what you are most proud of in terms of what Dipsy has done so far. And then kind of like, what's, what's next? How are you, what are you excited about going forward with this company? Oh, what am I most proud of? So much. I mean, a lot of what I'm proud of is this team figuring out how to make this new genre so thoughtfully and so carefully and in such an attuned way to what people love and want. I think that hearing from people who are using this to find joy in a space that they never thought they would find it is so amazing. And the fact that we hear that from so many different types of people, you know, we we heard from this person who is a non-binary art student in Brooklyn who was saying that their queer dating life was so much better now that they felt like they weren't a rookie out in the dating world. They had some sense of what to say and how to be amazing. Mm. And then you hear from a mom of three in Provo, Utah, Utah <laughs> saying, wow, my sex with my husband is so much better because of this. I'm authentically enjoying myself instead of just feeling like I'm there for his pleasure. Like, when oh, do you get to hear please. two such disparate yeah. people and two such different lives yeah. getting such different experiences that are so valuable? I mean, that is so cool. I don't even have words. Yeah. I'm in word soup. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And then what's coming up for Dipsy, we're always figuring out how to make better stuff. And so right now we, we just started putting content out that is just breathiness and just moans and just the feeling of experiencing someone's pleasure that are even more imagination bare than pure storytelling to see how that works for some people. And our early insights are that it really is. It's not for everyone. None of our content is for everyone, but it's really exciting to see that we keep figuring out ways to make more content that makes sure that everyone comes here and finds something for them. 
beautiful. It, it is. It's a beautiful. I was telling you before we started. It's a. It's a beautiful app. Like it's really visually beautiful, and it just feels really good. It feels super um, cared for and caring. So I'm just. I'm so grateful to know you and to. I've been. I've been singing your praises for a while now, but I'm going to be singing them even louder now that I've gotten a chance to meet you and just feel feel the integrity and care that you bring to what you're doing. I mean. That's amazing to hear. Thank you so much. A word like integrity. I mean, like that's all you can hope someone feels when they, you know, pop open your app and yeah, that you want to keep it on the main screen of your iPhone because it's a beautiful experience is also, is also our hope. So if you want to put Dipsy on the home screen of your iPhone, I'm just kidding. You could, you could tuck it back there if you want, but if you want to explore and figure out if it's for you and listen around, we have a code for y'all. So if you head to dipsystories.com, so D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash love pod, you can explore for 30 days free and see if you like what you hear. So thank you, Gina, so much for being here with me today. We are going to have that link in the show notes along with your beautiful TED Talk. I loved watching your TED Talk and that way people can can stay close to you and get to know you and Dipsy even more deeply. Thank you for having me here for this conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gina, for building this incredible space for us all. If you're interested in giving Dipsy a try, Gina's team has offered Reimagining Love listeners a free month of listening. Just go to dipsystories.com slash lovepod, L-O-V-E-P-O-D, or click the link in the show notes of this episode. I hope this conversation has inspired you to reimagine your own sexuality and bring creativity into your sex life. Until next time, be well. Thank you for listening to our show. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan and Katie Pagich of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.